Welcome to episode 552 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 552 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Isles. How are you going? Is checking your phone? Yep, I'm all good, Bevan. What are you doing? Hold on. He's, he's, I'm slightly suspicious of John Newsom when he goes there. Has this meant to be something of me getting married? It's coming, Bevan. It's this week. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming. The big open mouth's coming. <laughs> the big open mouth. <laughs> That's what I'm looking forward to, the big open mouth. Uh, John, Bo, what was... Are you I've sorry? thrown you, I've thrown you. I, I am getting married. Yeah. I, uh, this weekend, this Saturday. I know. Pretty exciting times. Had a wedding on the weekend. And I, I love a wedding. Yeah. Love a wedding. Yeah. Going for the haircut. You all well, no, I'm going to use a bit of a sharpen up as well. Oh, goodness. On me. top it's fine, but just a little bit sharper. Mate, I'm spending a lot of money on photos. Yeah. <laughs> spending a lot of money on photos. So if you're going to spend a lot of money on photos, you've got to make sure you have a good, good haircut. Cool. Were you happy with your wedding photos? Yep. Do you have a good haircut? Yeah. Yeah. See? See? I bet you got your haircut the week before. Probably. I can't call oh, it. Come on, you some time ago. Did you watch the Super Bowl? No. OMG. Was that? Not really that interested. Neither am I. But it was a public holiday yesterday and I was still working. And I thought to myself, I thought, you know what? I'd, work, I'd got up at like six and worked through it about three and I thought, you know what, I'm going to just relax. And I just turned on TV and it was the beginning of the second half of the game and it looked like the Patriots were out. It was one of the greatest games of sport you could watch, Sean. Because it was American. No, no, no. You know, in the last 12 months, we've just had amazing sporting finals, haven't we? Mm -hmm. The NBA, the league, the, you know, just lots and lots of awesome sporting finals. But they were down, like miles behind. 21 down. 21 down, but they basically... Oh, John. You're telling everybody what they already know, Bevan. John, it was amazing. So I'm, I'm going to America. Yeah. I'm going to start, start playing gridiron. I got Ironman. Good. You know, I'm going to make America great again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talk is proudly brought to you by athletes.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme Your endurance. Your buffer. And our patrons. And let's name a few, Jumbo. Christopher Raging Ranchy. We've got Lee 20 Eyes Spore. Matt. Don't walk over me, Anderson. Nice. We've got uh, David Trimmer. How does that one? Gidge. Gidge. Okay. And Tony Buckelin Buckingham. <laughs> That's a good one. Okay. And this week's show, we've got a news. We've got, we've got a little bit of news. We've got a hot topic of the week. We've got a website of the week. It's a great website of the week, isn't it? It is. One of our listeners has gone the extra mile on this one. And then we've got, oh, we've got Gary in this week, are we? Yep. Gary Renai. Uh, no, he's on next week. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, we've got Bud this week. Yep. Bud's going to be talking about Bud Coats. breathing while you're running and how to try to modify that in terms of reducing injury and uh, just becoming a bit more efficient. So it's an interesting chat. And then we've got a couple of questions and answers at the end. Okay, Jumbo, first of all, let's talk about some results first. Uh, so the big race we had wasn't really a big race, it's quite a small race, but Paul Smoky, Silky Smooth Williams always sends through about this race. And we had the Triple A in Australia. Do you want to talk about do you want me to talk about the, the race first? Australian Alpine Ascent. It's a grueling three K swim, 124K ride, 28K run. So sort of in between that half and full iron distance race, but it's the, pretty much the Australian's version of Norseman. Uh, you have a pretty decent amount of climbing on the bike and the run is, you know, you run up to the top of Mount Kosciuskas, I think, which is the highest uh, landmark in Australia. Oh, so, um, yeah, it's a 
Cool, cool race. Okay, so Paul Silky Smooth Williams sent through. Just wanted to tell anyone who is vaguely interested in doing either the Triple A or the Tri Cosi next year to seriously consider it. I've been involved in triathlon since the early 90s, and these races are special. The Tri Cosi has come back a race after two and a half years of being out. I seriously underestimated the course and found it incredibly difficult. Having said that, the feel and vibe of the race was fantastic. Both events, John, you made me look at the thing there. <laughs> Both events are self-supported, no aid stations, and you bring your own support crew. I imagine it's similar to what Hawaii was when it started. The distances aren't killer. It's the climbing and the mountain weather. The venue and scenery is amazing. The other athletes are all very supportive and encouraging. I'm hoping to come back next year and tackle the big daddy. If not, I'll gladly do the shorter race again. The overall numbers are pretty poor, 55 in the AAA and only 30 in the Tri-Cosi. These races are perfect for the middle to front of the pack athletes who are wanting a real challenge, not just another flat overcrowded boring draft fest so come on come on support a unique event like this otherwise they will disappear and we'll be stuck with cookie cutter Ironman and 70 point races that are really pitched for the first timers and the one and done crowd so yeah I to- totally agree I've, we've actually we've had an epic camp um, finished around that area around Jindabyne and we now was that the epic camp where the guy was going down the hill in his wetsuit wet went through his front wheel and he went over his handlebars ended up in hospital never saw him again yeah was it, oh, really was that the end <laughs> yeah. of him yeah Oh and really? Was frit, I got old Fritz. Um, was he all right long term? I think so. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't. Yeah, that was. It was a lot of shrapnel on the, you know, damage to the face and stuff. Oh, but wow. um, nothing, nothing scarring. I don't think long term. But mentally, it's a bit, oh, a bit yeah. challenge to get over that stuff. So yeah, we we trained there for Epic Camp, and it's a lovely place to swim. Just uh, you're out in the middle of nowhere. We, I don't know if they followed the same bike course when we sort of rode, um, and then we ran up to Mount Kosciuszkos, and it's totally what um, he was saying. It's just you're out there, and it's you and the elements. And I put on a race at the weekend over at Corsia Bay in Christchurch, and it was bit like this it was low key low entry fee it was a race and it was a real gut buster it was a stinking hot day it was an olympic distance hills all day I mean, coming out of the swim it was a big climb out of the swim it was hills all day on the bike hills all day on the run and so it was just a, an old school challenge no not too much razzmatazz and stuff people loved it okay just before we talk about the triple a results who took out the course of bay race Tyron Haller, who's the guy who beat me, Hallier, he beat me last week in the other in the race, mm. beat Brett Tingay. Did he? Brett Tingay's doing well, considering he was bloody in hospital a couple of months ago. A hospital, like, you know, almost scared he's going to die a hospital. Yeah, so he had a good strong day. So it was, uh, And did you race? No, I did not. I was race director. Oh, okay, because mm. the young boys are taking you now, aren't they? They are. Wanaka's coming up. Wanaka's coming up. see what happens there. So, okay, so what happened in Triple A? So Triple A, we had... Oh, wait a second, who won the girls' race? Fiona Crombie, I think, took it out. Okay. Kerry Aitken, I think, was second. Nice. So, Johan Borg took out this race in 7 hours, 27 and 3 minutes. He swam 47, rode 4.19 and ran 2.15. They had Oscar Booth in second and Tim Boot in third. On the girls' side, I think she was fourth overall. Katie Duffield in uh, 8 hours, 18 Second was Chloe Lane, and third was Shelley Sholin. So good work, AAA athletes. Sounds like a cool race. Okay, so the other piece of news we have this week, well, one of the other pieces of news we have this week is the Ironman WADA Sports Holding Company, it's different at W2C, uh, an international triathlon union announced today that they've agreed on to a historic cooperation framework to further develop the growth of triathlon. After a week of meetings at Ironman headquarters in Tampa, Florida, senior leaders from both organisations, including ITU president and IOC member, how do you say that one? 
Uh, Mar- Marisol Casado and I'm in President Andrew Messick agreed to a historic growth framework that is the accumulation of several years of work together among the key priorities of ITU and Ironman have agreed to are the following harmonising anti-doping efforts to continue to protect clean athletes and the integrity of the sport working towards ITU being recognised as a singular international federation leading the sport of triathlon it's a big one isn't it ITU sanctioned I selected Ironman races in, as international events ITU leading co- uh, coordinating and communicating with the members of the national federations to implement standardised rules and reinforce ITU's clean fair and safe mandate. IMM will leverage ITU's resources in certain ethics-related matters, including technological fraud, code of conduct, of conduct sorry, uh, manipulation of sport competition, etc. Working towards a single set of rules, this is a big one, ITU competed to rules for long-distance triathlon at the beginning of 2018, developing an athlete-focused edition of those rules with specific distance categories, alignment of efforts to foster the growth of and development of the sport, specifically focused on safety, first-time athletes, development of women in sport and education so it's pretty big stuff this it's yeah it's just all that sort of rules tying everything up isn't it and i if you have a look at an itu or even an iron man rule book those things are ginormous they're not like a cricketing man uh, almanac sort of rule book but there's a lot of rules you go holy shit i didn't realize that existed just a triathlon but yeah um and i think this is where there's a a, it's it's great it's all it's all beneficial it's nothing really around the competition around racing, you know, Ironman still have their 70.3s, ITU might still have their, whatever they call them, their double distance races and stuff, so they may still compete in those areas, but it would be nice to just rock up to any race in the world and go, okay, I know the drafting distance is 15 metres, or I yeah. know it's 12 metres, and this is one of the problems with, with, with what Challenge is doing, saying, right, we're going to have 20 metres at um, the championship races, that's all good and well, but it just does start to confuse things, you go, oh shit, where am I, am I... I was 20 metres this race, but on Kona, that's the world champs. Is this mm. 12? Is it 15? Is it 10? Pros are different, so age group is. So I think this is all good. Um, and they're essentially sharing the workload. I mean, you know, just, there's no point both organisations doing the same work around doping and clean, fair sport and stuff. So I think it's, uh, it's all good. And the other thing is we've got to remember is ITU and um, Ironman are now forced to be working together to some degree because the company that owns Ironman now runs the, runs a number of the ITU World Series races um, in oh, terms okay. of Cape Town and, and a couple of the others. So they kind of have to work together to some degree. I wonder if this is a problem for Challenge because Challenge have done quite a few of the ITU European Championship races. I wonder if in building this relationship, Challenge gets pushed out from ITU? Well, no, I don't think so, because Challenge normally adopt the National Federation rules from what I can understand. Mm. So as long as that's consistent, you know, if the New Zealand triathlon rules are the same as the German triathlon rules, then again, but that's generally what I see at Challenge races, they just adopt the National Federation rules, which are, the, which are usually set down by ITU. So yes, this would be great if we can get some... Uh, good, consistent rules around the world. Well, I think also a bit of a big up to Andrew Messick here because traditionally these two organisations actually butted heads, didn't they, back Mm. in the old days? And he's worked with the ITU to kind of build a relationship that's actually better for triathlon, isn't it? Mm, Exactly. And so, you know, he opened a door. In that regard. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, but like... As you say, the stuff that they're working on here is all good stuff, isn't it? You know, you can't really fault them for kind of working on this stuff. And it's kind of, why have two organisations working on the same crap if you can kind of use your energy wisely? And Mm. and hopefully it's better. Ultimately, is this better for the athlete in the long term? Mm, 
Absolutely. You know, so that's a good thing. On a, on more sad news is we had two positive drug tests this week. Yes, we had American Lauren Bandit, uh, Barnett was given a six-month suspension for the anabolic agent Osterine, a selective androgen receptor module. Miss um, Barnett was able to establish that the prohibited substance came from a contaminated supplement, so um, was given a reduced ban. So she's only given a six-month ban. You, got, you know, it's in your system, so you're guilty. But if you can uh, show, obviously, it came from a, you know, just a supplement, and you unintentionally took it, then um, it's been reduced, which I think is completely fair enough. Also, well, in saying that, I, if, if, if that's the case, if you've taken a supplement that you thought didn't have drugs in it and it mm. did, should you be banned at all? You know what I mean? Because it's like, sure, if you've, you know, to me, you get a ban if you cheated. But if you if, if you if you just stood an action that actually was not your fault at all, and it wasn't even lack of competency, it wasn't that you was just stupid. Mm. Should there be a ban involved? Oh, I don't know. It's just tr- it's very tricky. Yeah, that's a hard one because I would, mm. I would be ripping my undies off if I mm. let's say I bought some supplement in my local shop. Please no one give them even supplements that are, that are yeah. tainted because I don't really want to see that. Oh, I tell you because the amount of drugs I take, John. I tell you, <laughs> but you know, like I would hate it if I'd bought you know just in my local whatever. And the company had let me down, mm. and I get punished for that. Mm. It does seem wrong right. if I can prove that. It's not the first case. It won't be the last. Um, the challenge we've always got is, I believe her, but then you have cyclists saying the same yeah, thing. Yeah, well, that's the problem, isn't and it? And you go, well, is that bullshit or not? I don't know. Uh, so, and then we also had American Beth Girds, uh, who's been suspended for two years as a result of an adverse finding from the sample obtained from her race at Ironman Australia on the 1st of May. Miss Girds was also found to have ingested Ostarine and has maintained her innocence, um, but she hasn't been able to show that the salt test... Miss Girds had salt tablets tested that returned an initial presumptive positive for Ostarine on the unopened package, the lab was unable to confirm the positive finding on subsequent packets of salt pills, according to Miss Gerds. So that's, tr- again, that's a tricky one. It sounds like she's obviously had got a contaminant from contaminated product. And we remember, I always often go back to the Rebecca Keat incident, and that was the same sort of thing, um, contaminate, and she managed to prove that um, she had some contaminated substances. So, Well, and, and it was interesting, did you read her box post spot? Oh, no. Oh, yeah, so she was basically kind of saying, well, it's got a quote here, in the end, on some level, I need to take responsibility because it is part of my body, and per the rules, I'm responsible for what goes in it, she wrote. I believe that the evidence points to the fact that I will never chosen to have taken performance-enhancing substance and i hope that some people i know not all but those who know me will believe me but she kind of also says look kind of at the end of my career this is not worth fighting mm. you know so it's a hard one isn't it because she's also the partner of luke bell and uh, not luke bell luke mckenzie sorry luke mckenzie um you know and some people will probably scar him with the brush you know because mm-hmm. some people aren't going to believe her and mm. you know you're guilty by association so it's a funny situation so never a good thing to hear is it it's not and it's it's a Hard battlefield out there if you're an athlete. If you know, you, you think if you and I, we might go out there and we'll go, we'll go for a big training session. I'm going to have some, uh, you know, some sort of sports supplement out there. I'm going to have some sort of, um, you know, electrolyte drink or energy drink, and it could be tainted. You know, it used to be, oh, that would suck. Yeah. Or I'm going to take, so, yeah, yeah. It's just it'd be really challenging, especially when you your go, job. Yeah. You know, like it's different if you and I were just doing an age group race and we got done and it, like, oh, it really sucks. But it's when you earn your living doing mm. this and somebody else's incompetency means you lose your career. That's mm. pretty significant. Mm. So let's just hope that we don't see more of this. I'd love to know how many drugs there were in a sport. 
Mm. All the druggies, can you email us and let us know? Yeah. <laughs> just what are you taking? How much dosage? <laughs> and what's it costing you? Just that's all we want to know. Okay, guys, this week's discussion. So last week we had a couple of discussions. We were kind of basically saying, will the twenty meter draft rule at the championship race run by challenge will be will that work? And also, why do you choose your A race for the season? So within your season, kind of what are the key factors you're looking for? to choose your key race that you're going to kind of put all your energy into in your season. John, you go first because I'm pulling up the notes. Uh, I'm going to pronounce your name wrong, sorry. Leon Parry, location, uh, ease of travel and the experience. The 20 metre rule simply part of the, is simply part of the solution they're planning for the champs. Wave numbers are limited to 10 minute gaps between each wave. The 20 metre markers we painted on the road. As someone who is going to the event, I'm looking forward to the changes proposed. So let us know what it's like at this event. I'm okay. really keen to hear. I'm just saying this name because I'm going to struggle for Edu. What'd you say, Moxie? Mox. Moi? I'd say moi. Ed, edu, moi. I'm Where do you get the, what does the X do then? You get, you're silent. Oh, I didn't know I'm, that. I'm guessing. I'm guessing, so I could be wrong. Okay. Ease of travel, event organiser reputation, course, slots, potential of holidays, destination for question number one. And two, too much participation, oh, sorry, participation keeps increasing. It will be difficult to implement the 20 metres. This is a good one because we got it from a partner of an athlete. So oh. Sharon Rowe, David Rowe, who came over to yeah. Camp Canada. Um, from an athlete point of view. I think I met them in Christchurch. Yeah. David that came through Christchurch one time years ago and came yeah. to do my running group. Yeah. Um, from an athlete point of view, races are chosen by David because they are iconic. Roth, uh, or wrote, tough, Lanzarote, Nice, Tenby, Bolton, or beautiful Wanaka, or a combination of the three. From a supporter point of view, somewhere tied to a little holiday is awesome. Reward for all the time. You don't see your athlete when they're training. And of course, going to Hawaii twice is pretty decent reward. The toughest race I've supported was the rote. If we went again, I'd have to get a bike so I could ride around and support. Actually, on that front team, I'm trying to organise a bike for our camp. Yeah. And I'm trying to, there's a place, I'm trying to hire one. But if you know any place in Munich, you know, we've got listeners all around the world. So if you know any place where I could hire a bike, in Munich be really good because I don't want to take a bike around with me for six weeks in Europe so mm -hmm. uh, just anyone knows Andy how do you say so on Blaskes? yep nice I'm a big I appreciate a big event I love the energy of a huge field and a huge crowd the support really helps the BOP athlete like me push myself to my best next I would like to be at an iconic location for us this is a family event knowing that my wife and sons has access to entertaining and exciting activities takes a bit of the self-centeredness away from feeling from the race finally beauty both St George Santa Cruz and US are breathtaking to the point that at one point I almost stopped caring about the race and just enjoyed the rewards of my efforts that's nice Joseph Mulhall, Mulhall um, number one I want races that coincide with school holidays so my family can join me. Uh, none do, so location is the only other factor. Number two, rule enforcement. So this is with regards mm. to the 20 metre rule. Uh, rule enforcement is more important than extending the draft zone. Lots of talk recently from pros on how the draft zone creates unfair advantages too. Okay, Nuno. <laughs> you go for all the I'm just going, we've got some good names today, team. Nuno, how to say one? Parizers? Prezeras. Prezeras, okay, good. Location, course characteristics that suit me and reputation of the race. I'm a newbie, a 50-year-old one, and long distance and raced a total of four local 70.3s in late 2015 to late 2016. On the last one, everything finally came together and I won my age group. Wow, that's pretty awesome. I celebrated by registering for Challenge Wrote, in this case being my full first distance race, I wanted to experience the best of the best in Europe. Reputation was the key factor here. As in the 20 metre draft rule, we'll have to be judged with some tolerance, creating some kind of judging 
challenge. With the current rule, one can figure out pretty easy what the legal distance is using the bike lengths as reference. At 20 metres, the estimation becomes much more complex, so penalties will be only applied in the cases where the draft zone violation is completely obvious. Overpassing times will become a nightmare too. Uh, judge properly. I think I'm, it might be okay for the pros, however, not for the age group. As positive note, people will keep on cheating, but the effect of it will be much less relevant because none will dare to get as close to the next wheel as they will, as they will these days. Wayne Ross, having just raced Dubai 70.3 with blatant drafting with a 12 metre rule, 12 or 20 metres only works if people don't cheat. It should be up to the officials to police. Good old Bradley Odom's got being 6'2 and 200 plus, or a big unit, as you guys like to say. I'm looking for a tough swim, fat, a flat, fast bike, and a flat, fast run. <laughs> Richard Swan's got a great one here. When choosing to uh, do a 70.3 race in New Zealand, um, I just wait till WTC decide whether they will suddenly create a new race. <laughs> Kylie Cox, time of year for building, qualification slots, and new races are my picks. Uh, last one I got, Matt Ellis, 20 metre draft. Sounds like good on paper, but unless... As a blow up useless. dartboard, as useless as a blow up dartboard, if not enforced. John, your thoughts on the twenty meter drafting rule? I think I agree with most of the people posting here. Um, it's only, I just it's the enforcement. I reckon twelve meters is enough <laughs> for age group racing if it's enforced well. Yes, there's still a little bit of benefit there at twelve meters, but if you're enforcing twelve meters, I think that's uh, good enough for me. And the um, the hassle of adding that extra eight metres in terms of passing, the logistics of how many people on the course, etc. I don't know if it's worth the extra effort, and I'd rather see consistency across all different races so you know how far it's going to be. Um, and I think 12 metres is enough. When it comes to the pros, I think I'll often go back to that challenge race they had in, was it Dubai or, or Abu Dhabi, wherever it was, that first one they had when yeah. they had the big money, and they had a 20 metre rule there, and that worked awesomely for the pros that's because they might have 50 or 60 people starting the race as opposed to an age group race where you maybe have you know i know at the challenge one they're going to be reducing the numbers but uh it's it just becomes a, a nightmare not to draft so i think 12 meters is uh, fine with me is i just like to see better enforcement and um and better i don't know if enforcement's the right word but better thought by the race organizers trying to spread it things out like they've done in this challenge race, I've thought about all those things, plus I've changed the distance. I wouldn't mind if they just focused on all those things in terms of having good reduced numbers in the waves, um, good gaps between the wave they groups. They have gaps, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think that would have probably been enough to make it a fair enough race. Well, I suppose the question is, what changes in the way you race a race if there's a 20-metre draft rule? You know what I mean? Like, if we think about that, like, let's say you're going to your race and you're always pretty top end of the field mm. and you're, you know, you're pretty good swimmer as well now there's going to be a 20 meter draft field does anything change in the way you race your race well if you if you, t if you take Kona for example say they said 20 meters at Kona it's like to be honest I probably wouldn't even go because it's just it's impossible yeah but let's say let's draft. say this championship race where they are doing the split starts mm. so it is a bit more of a spread field um, would, would anything change in the way you race your race no not really no, it, it would only change if I thought it had gone from being a loose sort of drafting race which Kona's like yeah. to a completely non-drafting race but if it had gone from 
having an honest race at 12 meters to 20 meters, no, it wouldn't change. But if you were going, okay, you're training in three months' time, um, you know, you're going to Kona where you've got to be ready for loose yeah. drafting versus you've got three months to get ready for a non-drafting race, then you'd probably just modify your training a bit more. You'd probably have more of an even power output, whereas in Kona you need to be ready for, for a bit more surging. I suppose the other thing is the only, the other thing that will happen is you'd make your choices about when to pass a bit more carefully because now that's twenty meters mm, if you're going to pass hard. a pack, mm. you know, and there's going to be bigger packs for that many people. So that's you know the thing about that burning matches. If you've got twenty people in front of you, no twenty meters apart, mm. and you're going to try get to the front of that pack, well, that's a big effort, isn't it? Mm. So you know, there's that aspect of the race as well. Why do you choose your race? Uh, in New Zealand, we don't have a lot of choice, so I think I'd, I'd look at this a lot differently if, if I was based in Europe or America. You know, in New Zealand, you race where you can race, mm. basically. And then in terms of um, picking major races, um, for me, it is just picking the iconic ones, you know, Rote or Hawaii. Um, and then I usually try to plan a camp around them. Yeah, you do too, too. <laughs> First things, race, then second camp. Okay, so for me, it would be um, a big event or a challenging event. So in beautiful locations. So like, you know, if I'm going to do a run race, something like the Motor Tap or something like the Abel Tasman or something like that, where it's kind of just beautiful, mm. um, but challenging. Or, you know, Joe and I think about doing New York Marathon next year. So something like that, where it's just kind of blow your socks off experience. What if you were still doing triathlon and the World Championships, you know, that was prestigious. Don't mm. forget, so kind of didn't exist. Say the World Championships are somewhere and it's going to be on a pretty shitty course. Would that you go, I really want to go to the World Champs, but it's on a shit course. I think the World Champs is different, because a lot of people want that prestige of saying they've gone to a World Championship. Mm. You know, and I think World Championships can almost get away with being on a shit course, mm. because they it, it's more that kind of social credit you get from the fact that you made the New Zealand team. Um, and so uh, it, it, it probably wouldn't be as appealing, but you'd probably still do it. Mm. Um, and also maybe the course wouldn't be great, but maybe the location would be cool. So you like, you know, let's just say, not that I've been to Miami, and actually I was speaking to some people last week who said Miami wasn't that great, but, um, you know, like the idea of going to Miami, like a cool location, sure the race might be average, but the holiday around it might be cool. So I think World Championship's a bit different, but you just to do a, a flat, boring course somewhere wouldn't really appeal to me. Mm. Mm, so, you know. Anyway, this week's discussion, good old Paul Dennett sent through this one and he's just got a discussion of the week. What do you use as inspiration for the last five minutes of hell on your turbo? So in an indoor session or on a treadmill or something like that, what do you use? And he sent through, and I'll put this on this week's show notes, a clip that he gets his kids to push play on of Rocky 2. We're going to win this thing, Rocky. We're going to win this thing. So that's what he uses. So what do you use for inspiration? It can be music. It can be film, it can be a YouTube clip, it can be, you know, you can put some words in front of yourself, whatever you use, we want to see it, okay? That's with this week's discussion. John, sponsor. Extreme Endurance. Galactic Buffer. So it's only $44.95 to $46.95, depending if you go on recurring delivery or not, but wait. Use promo code IAMTALK20 and you get 20% off there. Clinically proven to reduce your lactic acid by 15 to 26%, 39% reduction in oxidative stress, and six times lowering of CK, which is your creatine kinase levels. Basically, speeds up recovery, improves aerobic, uh, aerobic threshold by double digits, benefits within 72 hours, 
reduces muscle soreness and certified drug free, which is important mm. um, given what we've been discussing today. <laughs> so check it out, xendurance.com. That's their sort of the number one product is the standard extreme endurance. Comes in 180 tablets, which basically gets you a month's worth. You take three in the morning, three at night. So if you haven't tried it before, if you've got a race coming up, I'm certainly going to be on it for uh, Wanaka or if any of you Kiwis are going for Ironman New Zealand or Challenge Wanaka or um, Australians building up for your key races of the season over there, Ironman Australia or anything like that, it really does kick in very quickly. It's not something you need to be loading on for months and months or anything like that. So check it out, xendurance.com. And uh, you Yankees and Northern Hemisphere athletes, you might have some be building up for a, a spring marathon. Uh, get on it while you're doing your sort of build-up races. So check it out, xendurance.com. And remember the promo code, I am talk 20 At discount. Get the discount team. Okay, guys, we've got an interview coming up. Good old Jombo did this for us this week. Uh, Bud Coates, and he's a four-time Olympic marathons trial. So he made the new trials in America, which is a pretty big achievement, isn't he? Did a, a 2.13. And how old would Bud be? He'd be probably 60 now. Ballpark. Yeah, somewhere yeah. around there. So 2.13 in his day, that, that would have been, mm. you know, that would have been up there, right? Bud, if you're younger than that, we apologise. Yeah, but he's in that, some, he's somewhere between... 40 okay. and six, let, somewhere let, between 50 and 60. I'm going to do, do a Wikipedia. Um, and the reason somewhere between this, 40 and 60, that's the same. <laughs> that's, the same. That's, that's what we take. Okay, let's have a Mar- look. The Holy Hammer sent this through. He said, hey guys, are you familiar with this concept of rhythmic breathing to avoid landing on the same foot each time you exhale to reduce injuries? So the Holy Hammer sent this one through. So listen up for Bud, who is aged... No, I can't find it. Can't find 21. it. 21. There we go. Johnny looks 21. Here we go, here's Bud. Okay, guys, um, our next guest on the show, actually Murray Lapworth sent me through an email sort of asking about um, rhythmic breathing and landing on the same foot each time you breathe, and he recommended a, a, a link off to Runner's World, and it's got a, a book in there called Running on Air. It's by Bud Coates, and this guy is a four-time Olympic marathon trialist, uh, and he's got a pretty handy time of two hours 13 as personal best over the marathon distance. He's a senior director of health and fitness at Rodale Incorporated, and he's a director of training at Runners World. So welcome along to the show, Bud. Thank you so much. Glad to be a part. Now tell us, you know, obviously you're a pretty accomplished runner in, in your day. Um, a 213 marathon is uh, not too shabby at all. Um, and so, uh, you know, all runners are always going to have a great interest in training principles and you know, how to train the best way and periodization and all that sort of stuff. But how was it that you actually started getting into breathing patterns and, and what sort of a difference that can make with training? Well, it was actually rather interesting. Um, I was a, a undergraduate student at Springfield College up in Massachusetts uh, in the States and uh, was often injured. But I also had um, a, a major interest in exercise physiology. And uh, the exercise physiologist at the time at Springfield College was a fellow by the name of Dr. Jack Mahurin. And uh, he was a, a quite a good uh, distance runner in the, at the time, you know, mid to late 70s. And um, so unfortunately, I ended up in the, the uh, basement of the exercise physiology lab, riding a Monarch bike as cross training. And, uh, you know, every, every uh, couple weeks, you know, that I, I ended up returning to Jack's lab, he would, uh, 
either give me a book or a report or something. And, uh, um, you know, some of the first books that he that he offered to me were, you know, Arthur Lydiard's book on training nice. and uh, Arthur uh, uh, Ernest Van Aken. Um, and uh, so I started becoming a student of the sport and I came across some articles on breathing. And then a few years after that, there was a, a research study done by Dennis Bramble out of the University of Utah that discussed the, uh, the stress impacts of, of uh, in, uh, foot, foot plants with running. And, um, and basically what it amounted to was when you first begin to exhale, uh, the, first, the first foot you land on, it receives the most amount of stress. And then as you continue to foot plant, you know, from left to right and so on, and exhale, it, it dissipates. So in further information, I realized that, you know, just, just habitually, uh, we tend to follow an even pattern. And whether that's uh, through music or who knows what, because most, most music is, is in an even pattern, a 2-2 pattern, a 4-4 pattern, that kind of thing. Um, uh, basically, you know, everybody was uh, beginning to exhale and land on the same foot time after time after time after time, mile after mile. So I started toying around with an odd pattern uh, where you inhale for three steps and exhale for two. And what that meant was, was that when you went out for a mile run, um, you know, every time you exhaled, um, you landed on a different foot. So you went from left side to right side to left side to right side. So you shared the stress 50%. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that that's where it all came from. And, and so since that time, you know, when you were a student way back in, in that time and you started your first, you know, trials on yourself, has there been much other research in, in, into this um, going forward, not just in terms of that, impact of landing on the same foot each time but in terms of um injuries and stitch and all that sort of stuff as well there there's been a a, a minimal amount of research um sorry and right. um most of it has occurred after the book yeah. some occurred before the book but um prior to the book uh, the research that I was able to come across that re that substantiated the thought was that um, when you're inhaling, your diaphragm is contracting and your core becomes firm. And um, when you're exhaling, the diaphragm is relaxing and supple. Mm -hmm. So... When, when that diaphragm is relaxing and supple during the exhalation, that's when your, your core is, is the most susceptible to injury because it's, it's not stable. Mm -hmm. So, so you're, there's more motion that can take place. As you're inhaling, it's stable and you're firm. So um, through your entire inhalation, you know, from, from the bottom of your body to the top of your body, you're, you're basically a firm unit. When you're exhaling, there's, there's like this separation between the upper body and the lower body because the, 
the abdominal muscles and diaphragm are, are flaccid. So there tends to be more motion. Um, and that and that's a huge part in this whole process. And that's why um, in, in the need to create not only an odd number of breaths so that you're moving the stress from one side to the other, um, you're also inhaling for a longer period of time than you're exhaling. Because if you're inhaling for a longer period of time, you're staying firm for a longer period of time, and you're limiting the amount of time that you're, you're not as substantial. As you, as you exhale, if that period of time is shorter, then you're, you're creating a, a period of time when you're um, more susceptible to injury, you're decreasing that time. Now, I, I had a look at, through the Runner's World website and there was a link there to um, breathing and there was a, a little clip there of you with one of your Runner's World employees sort of talking through the steps of uh, how you can sort of become more aware of your breathing. But the first step that you really talk about is belly breathing. So maybe um, can you explain what you mean by belly breathing and, and practically how it actually works? Absolutely. Um the easiest way for a person to understand it is by lying on their back and basically putting their hands on their belly. And as you inhale and exhale, your 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 hands should move. Um, as you inhale, um, your your hands should raise, and you as you exhale, they should actually lower. Um, and what that means is is that as you inhale, and your diaphragm is contracting. It's allowing more space in your lower, lower chest area and diaphragm for air to, to flow into. Um, and that means that you, in fact, are belly breathing. If, by chance, your hands don't move at all, and it's fairly common, that means you're mostly breathing out of your chest. And you're in the small muscles in your upper chest and shoulder area called the intercostal muscles. Um, but... The, that area is covered by ribs, and there's only so much volume that is allowed. So if you're breathing, if you're chest breathing, you're limiting the amount of volume you can, of air that you can get in. If you're belly breathing, your your diaphragm can move down and open up and, and create a huge amount of air volume that then it responds as far as uh, is supplying more oxygen to the lungs. Uh, the lungs supply more oxygen to the blood, and the blood supplies more oxygen to the muscles. So it's very important. So the first thing we do is we concentrate on moving those hands up and down as they're resting on the belly and becoming an abdominal or belly breather. And is there a much of a relationship between people who are uh good belly breathers versus those that are uh, taking much more, you know, perhaps shorter breaths in terms of s stitch. Um, is there any relationship there? And maybe actually explain um, what's happening when we get stitched, because I know that you talk a bit about in the book, um, if you can become you know, a lot more efficient with your breathing, then the chances of getting stitch are going to be significantly decreased. So maybe just explain stitch, and, and if, if you're not a belly breather, if that's more likelihood that you're going to get stitch. Exactly. Um to, to qualify that just a little bit before I go into that, um, you, can, you can develop stitches or, or cramps um, both nutritionally mm. and physiologically. So 
I want everyone to understand that, um, you know, certain things that you eat can also affect the way um, your body reacts. And, and most of that is like dairy and lactose um, types of things where um, they're a little bit harder to digest and, and you can develop some, some stomach cramps that way. However, um, what, what we've realized over time is that um, as a person becomes a better diaphragmatic breather or belly breather is there's, there's a clear contraction of the diaphragm mus muscle and a clear relaxation and it's rhythmic and those people tend to have you know far less if, if any at all trouble with stitches but when a person tends to be more of a chest breather an upper body breather the the uh, the breathing is more erratic and when the breathing is erratic the diaphragm muscle has a has a problem contracting and relaxing in a rhythmic fashion and also often starts to like work against itself and when it starts working against itself that's when it starts cramping up and and developing what we refer to as a stitch so um, you know, one of the simple things to do if you if you occur or or, or uh, acquire a stitch is to, you know, either slow down significantly in your run or even walk, kind of gather yourself, begin to breathe on a more relaxed process, and and if you can institute at that time the belly breathing, when you start to run again, you'll really avoid it occurring again. Yeah. Now. Um I was out for a run uh, the other night and and just getting ready for this sort of interview and I've, I sort of was very aware that I'm I think a pretty good belly breather and, and I'm a pretty experienced athlete and I've never sort of experienced stitch um, when I've been racing before or training um, but I was just in terms of the practical steps of going okay I, I can master this belly breathing I'm okay here but then actually going out there and trying to get this three to two breathing ratio of sort of breathing in for three and out for two what are the steps you need to go through because I was finding it quite hard to concentrate on <laughs> running pace uh, breathing I was going oh, which foot's landing which foot's landing so what what are the sort of steps that you go through to actually be yeah. able to master that because I thought it was going to be pretty straightforward but it was uh, it was certainly a lot harder than I anticipated yeah, and, and, and that's, that can be fairly common. Uh, I found that swimmers tend to be um, quick learners. Um, people with a music background tend to be quick learners. Um, but, but there are some stumbling blocks. There's, there's no doubt about that. So when I teach a beginning running class, which I do um, on a regular basis, what I do with everybody is I take them through a process where we lay down on our backs um, we put our hands on our belly and we learn how to belly breathe. That's, that's the first one. And then I have people bend their knees, put their feet flat on the floor. And then um, while, while they're just sitting there still, I have them count in, two, three, out, two. In, two, three, out, two. And so they're inhaling for three counts and exhaling for two counts. Once they learn how to do that, then I add, add foot taps, and each time they say in or a number, they tap an opposite foot. So when they say in, they may tap their right foot, and then one, two, 
or, or in two, three. On the two, they tap their left foot. On the three, they tap their right foot. They're going back and forth. So it's in, left, right, out, left, in, left, right, out. And, and they're going back and forth. So they, they learn the foot sequence of an actual stride. So as they go in, two, three, out, two, they're tapping you know, their feet back and forth. And then once they get that, we stand up and we start the breathing process. And then at a certain point, we just start walking. And it's the same idea is that rather than a foot tap, you're taking a foot step mm. and you walk forward and then you just ease into a run. Now, what we have to remember is, is that whatever breathing pattern we've created is a habit and breaking a habit habit is very difficult. It takes repetition and, and practice. So with some people, it'll become very easy to just like transition over to the, the three-step pattern for an inhale and a two-step pattern for an exhale. Others, it becomes quite difficult. So what I do is I tell them, I say, look, you start out and whether you, whether you go through the process four times, five times or whatever, and you start to lose it, forget about it. Don't worry about it. Hmm. And then just exhale and start over again at any period of time. The more you go through the process, the more it becomes your new habit. You learn that new habit, and then you no longer have to think about it. What people worry about is that, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to count my breaths for the rest of my life. <laughs> it's, it's really not the case. Once it becomes habit, you don't think about it at all. Now, a lot of the, the people listening to this podcast are Ironman athletes, so it's a, a relatively aerobic um, exercise uh, and your breathing doesn't get too laboured because um, you're out there for quite some time. But what sort of happens as you do increase the speed, say for example you're doing a, a much shorter race, you know, maybe a 5k or, or something like that, um, and your breathing becomes a lot more intense. Does the ratio sort of start to change there, and, and, and how do you modify things? Oh, absolutely, and and that was that was um, you know one of the early uh, modifications that I had to create because yeah, you're right. Um, we don't all just want to run slow. We're doing this because we're we're competitive. We have goals and so on. So basically, um, what I what I created was the the inhale for three steps and exhale for two is a five step pattern. But if you want to run at a faster rate, requiring more oxygen in to the, the lungs and, and transported to the, the blood and then eventually to the muscles, um, you want to you transition to a three-step pattern, in for two and out for one. So basically, you're getting a third more breaths per minute over, over a, you know, that period of time. And I further, um, you know, uh, explain that by uh, by uh, comparing it to or, or applying it to the Borg scale of exercise um, uh, exertion. Mm -hmm. And basically the Borg scale, if people aren't really familiar with that, it's a scale of basically one to 10. And it's a physiological scale that, that um, uh, surgeons use to determine your effort level. If you're doing a a, a treadmill test um, medically or or for performance, you'll often be asked, you know, how do you feel on a scale of one to ten? Um, one being, you know, laying on the couch and you know not doing anything, 
and 10 being, you know, I'm working, you know, about as hard as I can. I got about six more steps in me and I'm going to fall off the back of the treadmill. <laughs> um, so what I did is I, I basically applied the Borg scale and for my, my five step pattern, that aerobic pattern, um, I have basically a 51, the five is the five step pattern. One is the effort level, um, a 52 and a 53. So 51 is that long distance run, the Sunday run where you're really just looking for endurance and aerobic benefits. 52 is, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm breathing kind of deep. I can talk a little bit, but I need to stop and listen for a little while too. Um, that's basically your tempo or anaerobic threshold pace. And um, there was a, uh, a research study while I was um, actually writing a book that came out of the University of New Hampshire that qualified all this really well. Um, and then, so so that 52 is you're moving along, but you know it's a hand you could it's a pace you could handle. Um, then all of a sudden, you know, you get to a quicker pace or you get to a hill where all of a sudden you're sucking air in and you're blowing it out as fast as you can and, and you, you can't talk, you, you know, you can't, you know, function real well. And, and that's a warning zone. Um, and, and basically it's, it's, it's a warning zone because it's telling you um, you need to make a change. Uh, and the change is, is that if I'm, if the idea is that I'm in a tempo run or basically really close to my half marathon pace, um, I need to back off a little bit because it's, it's, it's just a little too fast or too hard, um, then you back off. But if you're in that 5K or 10K race or you're doing intervals on the track, whether it's mile repeats or half mile repeats, um, then it tells you convert, go to a three-step pattern. So mm -hmm. now I'm in, inhaling for two and exhaling for one, I'm getting more, more breaths in per minute more oxygen to the blood um, per minute and to the muscles per minute, so I'm able to to perform at a higher level. So, so there's a there's a process that you go through in a learning uh, process, so that just like watching your heart rate, you're you're paying attention to your breathing, and you can tell from your effort um, exactly what you should be doing. Mm -hmm. So, is there any? drills other than the ones that you've sort of talked about at, at, at sort of startup level where you lie on your back and um, and do the foot tapping and so on is there any other sort of drills or exercises that you sort of go through the book in terms of trying to keep advancing that um, or is it, is it just one, a case of once you kind of got at early stages it just does become fairly natural and, and just sort of habit habitual um, I think Early on, you have to pay more attention to it than once it becomes, you know, as I as I had stated, your new habit. Mm. Um, and so, so it, it's always a conscious thing. Um, you you have to you have to pay attention. And again, um, you know, if you are watching your heart rate, you'd have to do the same thing. But it it's a it's a the missing link between the heart rate. And, and your body is, is that you have to look at your heart rate and then adjust. Um, with the breath, it's immediate. You know immediately, uh, I'm going too fast, I'm going too slow, or I need to, to adjust. Um, so the answer to that is, is a little of both. Mm -hmm. um, it, 
it does become natural over a period of time, but early on you have to pay attention to it. Um, and and you, the easiest way to explain that is is that when when I've worked with a person for a period of time, um, they'll say, "Oh, you know, I got halfway up that hill and I realized I was really struggling, um, and I had to, I either had to slow down, um, or I had to change my breathing pattern from a from that five-step pattern to the three-step pattern. And then, you know, a month later, uh, they'll come back to me and said, wow, I realized that I got to the top of the hill and I did that without even thinking about it. Mm. And and that's what it becomes. It becomes part of part of your program, part of your natural habit. Now, in, in your book, obviously we've done sort of a, a, you know, a 10, 15-minute sort of summary on, on running on air and, and rhythmical breathing. Um, Obviously, you've got a whole book on this. So, so what do you sort of go into in more detail on the book um, for people that want to take this to the next level? Well, I think the, there, there are a couple of things there. Um, Training-wise, um, it's, uh, it's quite valuable in the sense that um, early on in, in uh, you, 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 uh, you wake up in, in mid-December and you say, okay, you know, I want to run a spring marathon. And, um, you know, I've, I've been kind of lax, um, or I want to do a triathlon or whatever, and I've been kind of lax. Um, so you decide, you know, you're going to start up on a training program, you know, January one, two, three, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, your fitness level is, is fairly low. Um, and you know, you go out on your first training run and you want to make it a, what I refer to as a 51, that five-step pattern at a level one, which is very aerobic. And, um, you know, if your if your PR for the marathon at that time is, you know, I'll just say three hours and thirty minutes, um, you know, that pace that you're probably running um, at that effort is is probably close to I'd say nine nine and a half minute pace per mile. Um, and I know you guys are in New Zealand, mm-hmm. so uh, you know, I, I can't do the quick translation on kilometers. Sorry about that. Five, um, five minutes per but, k for a three thirty. Yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> But in, in, you know, by, by early February, that same effort, that 51 effort, because your fitness has started to improve, might be 30 seconds, uh, you know, anywhere from 15 to 30 seconds a mile or 2K quicker, mm-hmm. um, just because, the, you know, you're becoming more efficient, your breathing um, is going to relate to the work you're doing. Uh, so... So um, what what you can do is rely more on, you know, your effort as opposed to, um, you know, some preconceived idea that, you know, you should run this pace, this pace and this pace. The other thing is, is that it's environmentally sound. Um, you, you know, as well as I do, um, on, a, on a nice, cool, crisp day, you go out the door and, you know, you feel great and, you know, you can move along and be really efficient. And, you know, increase the temperature um, by 15 to 20 degrees and all of a sudden, you know, you can't hit those splits. But if you're training with the idea of the, uh, the, the running on air rhythmic breathing key, uh, 51 at 40 degrees Fahrenheit is different pace than a, than a 51 at 70 degrees and again at 90 degrees. Mm-hmm. So you're working the same 
amount or the, at the same effort um, relative to the temperature and environment around you. Uh, and, and that's probably the biggest key. Mm. Um, the other thing that, that we've, we found is with people that suffer from asthma, if they really pay attention to their breathing and we start them gradually at a 51 where they're inhaling and exhaling consistently and then do comfortable short intervals at a, at a, a quicker level like a 31 and then back down to 51 and then back up to 31 and I talk about this in my book what they can do is they can avoid that asthmatic attack because for the most part as people that suffer from asthma um, suffer a drastic change in inhalations and exhalations and if they can gradually introduce those changes to the body and allow recovery during that time then they can avoid an absurd reaction. Mm, fantastic. And in, in your own uh, running career these days, before we started recording, you're saying um, you've been battling a bit, but you've been uh, you've been you've been playing around with the, the 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 sort of the treadmill where you sort of get lifted off the the ground with with oxygen. Do you, do you mind just explaining a little bit about that and how that's um, enabled you to, to to keep running? Uh, I'm. I'm a little confused with the question. You're saying before we recorded, you know, what are you doing with your own running these days in terms of make, you're on you're on the comeback trail yourself, and maybe just tell us some of the tools you've been um, playing around with to to get your running back on track at the moment. Right, right. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, so for the readers out there, um, I suffered um, a bit of a non-running injury with my knee. And but it affected my ability to be able to run because unfortunately your knee is is a huge part of, of uh, leaving the ground and landing when you run. So um, I've I've had to during my rehab uh, use some low or no impact exercises or activities and and the two main sources that I've gone to when I can go outside I use an elliptico machine which is uh, if if you're not familiar it's uh, similar to an indoor elliptical machine. Um, but but it's it's like a bike outside and and mm. uh, the running motion is allowed uh, through through the elliptico and you can get a great workout in and inside um, I've used a, a machine called the Zero Runner by Octane um, that really allows uh, you to to create your your natural running motion um, your your natural running stride which is different than some of the elliptical machines that can kind of confine you to a certain motion. Anyway, um, because those two machines involve stride, I can apply my aerobic breathing program to those machines with, with no trouble at all. So um, I, you know, I inhale for three strides, I exhale for two strides, whether it's on the Octane Zero Runner or the Elliptigo, um, during my easy workouts and long workouts and I can do interval training um, where I increase to the three-step pattern for a period of time and then recover in in the uh, five-step pattern so I'm able to do all of the physiological training uh, that I would normally do running but fortunately with no impact mm, fantastic 
so guys the, the book is called running on air by bud coats um it's we'll have links through to that from from the show notes uh any, anything else you wanted to cover there just in terms of breathing or or, or anything else that uh, people can look forward to reading in the book um, you know, the, the one thing that the wrinkle or, or the obstacle that I found um, over time that, that people have is, um, you know, probably over the last 15, 20 years, uh, many of us have, and, well, I won't say us because I don't do it, but many runners um, have, have, have started to use uh, music and earphones and plugs and so on and so forth um, to kind of just, you know, take up some some time entertain them while they're running and unfortunately most of the music people listen to is on an even rhythm so if you're trying to convert to the the um, the odd pattern the five-step pattern or the three-step pattern and listen to even mm-hmm. um, bass music at the same time it's very difficult so what I've had to do with those people is say okay no earphones you know um, <laughs> Uh, either on the treadmill or um, out running um, until you get it. And it's amazing. Once once you get it, once it becomes part of your habit, the music doesn't interfere with it. But when you're trying to learn the process and kind of go against the beat of the music, it's a hassle. So um, if if you're a person who likes to listen to music on the run and you would also like to learn how to rhythmic breathe, you need to take a break from the music for a little while. Fantastic. My the other co-host that I do the show with, he loves his music when he's when he's running, and I'm the completely in your camp. I never listen to music when I run, so uh, that'll be some good advice for him. So, but thanks so much for your time. Um, fantastic stuff. You know, guys, if you're somebody that suffers from um, you know stitch and asthma and and you've got recurring injuries and stuff, this is definitely an area you want to look into. Um, and uh, thanks, Bud, for your time. And uh, we will look forward to hearing from you another time. Okay, call me anytime. Thanks, Jumbo. Your thoughts? I think it was it was really good. It's I, I haven't gone through the whole process of doing all his exercise and what have you, but I've sort of noticed that I am a good belly breather. I've never really um, had issues with stitch and what have you, but it's something I'm going to play around with. And I certainly think if you get a lot of stitch, um, I think this could really help just controlling your breathing. Um, and it's something I'm going to play around with my kids as well because my Thomas gets a bit of asthma and he gets a bit of uh, stitch as well. Mm. So I'm just going to go through it with him because I think it's a it's not a life skill, but I think if you can actually learn to breathe efficiently and smoothly, it uh, yeah could help with whatever sport you end up doing. So uh, yeah, I thought it was really interesting. Well, he um, what am I saying? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but I think you do need to go back and start from scratch because I tried just. Doing the um, doing it while I was out running, and it's like, well, I just can't concentrate doing three into uh, three in two out in terms of the breaths. So I think you do need to take it take it right back. Do it, as you said, lie on your back, and then just slowly figure it out and just work through that process, and then actually bring it into your running later on. Mm, mm. Interesting stuff. Also the music, but he loved music. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot. I did the interview last week. I forgot about that. Absolutely love it. No, but what he did say is pull away from music while you develop this and you go back to music. So at least just clarify that, John. He didn't say you don't listen to music. You know, you old school people. Yeah, think differently to me. <laughs> you old school. Okay, let's put some music on.
What side, side of the week? week? Okay, Jumbo, we've got a, a a legendary listener, Graham Toms. He sent us through an email. I am an I am talk. I'm oh, sorry, I am I man, a software developer and a long time listener of I am talk. After listening to your podcast in the past week, and you're specifically the part about the wanger of the week. I love that this section. I'm loving it. I decided to put together a leaderboard of sorts. I've built it according to the suggestions from this week's show. So it shows the highest number of activities for the past week as well as the highest duration of activities and so on and so on. So basically what he went and did is he created a website that grabs the data off our Strata server page and he's basically saying they don't really have an API. So he's, he's done it so it automatically goes back to our page every so often mm. and grabs all the data. And then he's created a website, trainingtrends.com. I think this is what he's doing around his own work. Yes. And uh, he's created our, our club page for Strava. And he's basically, so full disclosure, I built this partly because I could, partly because I wanted to give something back to the community, and partly because I'm hoping we'll drive some traffic to my site. He's a single developer who has built a new training platform and would love to get some exposure for it. And the platform is where the leaderboard is hosted. So you can check out his site. And the website is, I'll put it on our website, www.me. The link for ours is trainingtrends.com slash Strava slash imtalk. And I think we'll actually somehow embed this into our website. It'll be in the show notes this week, but I'm keen to embed it in there somehow as well. I've gone back to him on a couple of other um, points as well. So we're going to, uh, he's hopefully going to be able to extract who's reached the highest speed in running and cycling each week. So we can have some data. Downhill madness, and since you maybe looked at it, I asked him to add a few other things in there. So we've got the full selection that I think it was. Oh, this uh, this guy's a legend. Jeremy Hopwood. uh, This was his post on when we did it on Facebook. So we've got the, you know, who finished thirty third, who was the most active, who had the most activities during the week, the long, whoever had the longest single activity. I've been watching it. Eighteen. Yeah, the slippery, whoever had the most swim time, passes chamois cream, whoever whoever had the most bike time, the swinging, whoever. had the most runtime and the small whoever had registered the least amount of training in minutes. Now, one thing we would say, um, Graham actually emailed me this Good morning. Good old Brendan Claypole, 18 minute session. <laughs> What's <laughs> that about Willis? <laughs> now, what he did say was that what you're going to see on this page here is going to differ a bit from Strava because what we see on this page on training trends is only people that make their um, training sessions public. So okay. if you're private, yeah, we're not you'll, see you'll, see, you'll, you'll show up on the, our Strava page, but it's not gonna go you here. Won't, won't show up on here. So if you do want to be part of the, the leaderboards uh, here, then you need to make your workouts So what do we public. do? Each week we just choose one section? Yeah. Because we can't go through everyone every no, no, week. We just, but I've got to highlight a couple of people this week because uh, Ben Washington, he was doing, Dave, he, he had the most active uh, person of the week with 18 hours and 47 minutes of training over 18 activities because uh, he was doing Dave Dwan had a bit of a camp out here last uh, week uh, I did, I saw and that, they yeah. did a big week and then they did the race on Sunday and uh, also on that was uh, Pavel Chalices and he was he finished second in the single longest activity he was in the lead there for a while when Pavel I was the guy from Poland isn't it yeah, yeah he lives yeah, up yeah. in Auckland though. yeah oh, yeah, no, he's, away, he's lived there for a while. Oh. Um, he, he got tipped. He was leading. He had seven, a seven-hour, 37 bike ride. But Shane Duffy kind of snuck past nowhere. him with an eight-hour, 15 session. Uh, on the girls' side of things, you had Francesca St- uh, Stafford, who was up in Auckland. She, I think she's in Auckland. Six hours, 29 on the bike. What about good old Mark, uh, Mark Bloody Stettler? Is this his name? Yeah, he's coming over to the, uh, the road camp. Four swims, seven hours of swimming. Solid. Four swims. Yeah. Nutpa. And past the chamois cream for the most bike time for the week was Pavel, who did uh, 15 hours and 24 minutes. 
Now, in terms of our swinging swingers club, oh, we love our <laughs> swingers club. I don't talk swingers club. You, 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 you're just always going to have to shoot for second place, I think, because um, Jim uh, Plunkett Cole, who's the guy who's running across America, oh, good old uh, is Forrest take Gump, that out every every week. Yeah, he's he's ran. What how long did he run? So that was worth one day and five hours, and, and sixteen minutes. Seven activities. Yeah, he needs to, yeah, he's definitely winning that section. Yeah. Good old friend of mine, Ken Anderson Hadley. She's coming third place in the women's for the, for the old swingers club. So. <laughs> <laughs> and 33rd in training for the week went to Dave Harrison, who did 10 hours and 16 minutes of training. This is gold. So if you aren't on our Iron Talk Strava club, which I aren't, I need to get on it. Yeah. Um, I need to join Strava. I need to, you do. I need to sort my crap out because I want to get on this list. Well, yeah. Yep, that's my goal. Uh, so if you aren't on there, there's the link on – we need to put a permanent link on our, okay. our page, which mm-hmm. probably won't happen over the next two weeks. So I'll put a link in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, if you just search for I Am Talk on Strava, then you'll find oh, it. Oh, is it? Okay, yeah. there you go. On Strava, just search for I Am Talk. Save me a job. Uh, we've, got, we've currently got 256 members, but basically each week you just keep logging that in, and each week we're going to go back to our wingers of the week. <laughs> you can, you, And if you're, you're really special – you can be a wanger of the week on I Am Talk. So there we go, the wanger of the week. So just big ups to Graham Toms. And if you want to check out his website, it's called trainingtrends.com. And basically what he's aiming to do is help you get more out of your training. So if I just pull up his website here, um, it's basically, are you getting the most from your training? Training Trends provides unique tools and insights to help you reach your training goals and measure your progress. So he's putting a lot of time and effort into this. And, uh, you know, if we want to support him, that'd be really great. So thank you very much because you are a rock star, Graham Toms. Okay, John, questions and answers. Just quickly, we've got a couple of questions. And uh, I asked about the coverage of Iron Man on TV in America. Mm. And we've got a couple of responses. We've got Pete Githens and he's just got uh, NBC Kona coverage in the US. Once upon a time, mostly when Ford sponsored the Iron Man coverage, NBC used to put the Kona coverage on pretty much a good time slot. But since Ford dropped it, it is now usually on a weekend sometime on one of NBC's other networks. It is re-aired multiple times, but Americans as a whole probably never watch it. Mostly, it's just watched by triathletes. It's interesting. Mm. And then Wayne Vata-Bendian. Good work. You reckon? Yeah. Yeah, pretty close for me. Uh, love the show. The Ironman broadcast is still shown on primetime, so this is a little bit contradictory, usually after a Saturday college football game. At times, if college games ran late, the Ironman picked up and we lost a few minutes. Ironman is usually broadcast a second time, I think, for the hardcore triathlon. Ironman.com fulfills our needs, but people like Slow Twitch still bitch and complain <laughs> <laughs> about the free all-day service with live coverage. We are still tuning in when it's on NBC, and it is when the general population does as well. I cannot speak for the ratings, but with so many channels broadcasting college football and basketball, it is a time time, uh, time slot thing. Cheers, mate. Enjoy the show. So Nice mm. work. We'll go off and do you our legend. Look at the call recorder and you make me doubt if I've pushed record. <laughs> I've got reason to doubt. Yeah, I? yeah, it's the stupid device. We're going to go off and do our Legends of Triathlon podcast. Oh, pretty cool. Legends of Triathlon. Uh, oh, what is he going to wrap up the show? Uh, I want to be organised for our next interview. We've got five minutes. <laughs> this is Bevan's preparation. Okay. okay. <laughs> we'll be back. And, uh, who, who, well, who we got? Chrissy Wellington. So the show will be out at some stage this week. And she doesn't really need much introduction. You may have heard of her. She, no, she, she was pretty good in her time. Yeah. She won a couple of races. Did she ever lose an Ironman? I think no. she won every Ironman, didn't she? she? Yeah. That's amazing, isn't it? Mm. Here we go. We're going to be back in two seconds. Actually, not. Kind of like an. Let's be honest, if it's Chrissy, we'll see you in three hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, John, we're finishing this up. I don't know. Have we said sponsors? Um, no, but you said we're back in two seconds. Oh, well, we, we are back, and we just seconds. had, what, an hour and a half of Chrissy. Yes. She was great. She's great. And the problem was, I had about a million other questions on the tip of my tongue that I wanted to ask, but I was just conscious of trying to move through and uh, yeah. making sure we, we covered as much as we could. So we'll be putting that, that I'll, I'll, I'll try to get that out today or tomorrow. So look out for Legends of Triathlon. If you aren't on Legends of Triathlon, it's a great podcast because we really have got all the great people of our sport. We've been doing it for about five years now. It's, it's not consistently out. It kind of comes out every month or so, but Chrissy is a great interview, and if you want to kind of dig deep into her career, and we try to kind of keep it more around the sporting, but also a little bit of kind of the personal stuff in there as well. So that's Legends of Triathlon, and you can check that out where you get podcasts or just go to the website, legendsoftriathlon.com. So sponsors, John? Athlinks.com. <laughs> Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our patrons. Our patrons. I'm just going to name three. I'm going to the, going to our patrons page. Now, patrons, if you haven't sent in your pictures, we love to get pictures. So our top three across the top of our page, uh, we've got Brad the Moose Armstrong. Nice. I actually, I actually accidentally emailed him this week. I was uh, meaning to email a coach, uh, an athlete that I coach called Brad. I sent him the sort of pre-race email and then Brad Armstrong replies, yeah, I'm actually in the middle of Canada and or something like that, and it's middle of winter, so I'm not racing at the moment. I'm not doing that training. It's uh, mad. Yeah, we've got uh, Tim Timotron McClurg and Glenn Newbold. Who's, so he's a Kiwi, former Kiwi basketball player, living in the states. Really? Came and he got his sister. I remember he got his sister Kelly into the sport as well, and he's got a nice picture of him at Iron Man New Zealand. I love so, the photos. Yeah, you just patrons, go down the page and see all the patrons' photos. Flick in your p- pictures if you haven't already done so. Okay, so Jumbo, what's your goss? What is my goss? Oh, we're just getting pumped. As I said, we had the Corsia Bay, Corsia Classic yeah. at the weekend. Classic. Steaming hot day. It was about 30 degrees on the run. Did a 200 meter run? Uh, so on the bike, this this was a classic old course. It was 750 meters of elevation on the bike. It was about 38 k's long. So where do you bike? Uh, Orton Bradley Park and back. Okay, yep. It's, yep, it's basically... Yep. We got about maybe ten hills in there, yep. and that's some decent. Just little spikers, eh? Oh, they're ten yeah. to fifteen percent. Yeah, like, probably maybe fifteens, maybe. Be a few pictures there. Really, really tough. Top guys. I don't know what they're riding. Probably about an hour twenty, something like that. I'd imagine. Yep. And then the run was uh, three laps with a lot of climbing, two hundred meters of climbing in a in a ten k run, mm. just uh, up and down, real gut busting descents. Everyone seemed to. The feedback they were giving me loved old school approach. Yep. No prize giving, just a simple setup, no sponsors, cheap, have entry, a race. cheap entry fee. Everyone seemed to love it. Good times, rock and roll. He's look, he looks at the bloody thing again. <laughs> 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 re- he looks at the recorder and it just, I instantly go stress. I just don't want any reruns. Today. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. You're, you're Two totally big right. shows. So, other than that, Bevan, uh, that was a busy weekend, which left me pretty shattered. And. Did a key 90 kilometer ride with the Holy Hammer on Saturday morning. 90 kilometers at target effort for Wanaka. So banged that out of the park, which was good. So week and a half till doing a half Ironman, which is going to be a little bit scary in some ways. Kind of don't feel quite quite prepared. I've done some good training, but don't feel. The next time I'll see you will be at Challenge Wanaka. I might see you at your wedding. Oh, of course. <laughs> that's right, you're invited. Yeah, I forgot. <laughs> if you turn up. <laughs> oh, so that's, <laughs> that's that's about it. Bevan, well, what's what's happening? Bearing in mind Joe's in the other room, so you've got to be careful what you well, say. Well, no, no, we went to another wedding in Queensland last weekend. That was heaps of fun. Do love a wedding. Mm-hmm. Weddings are good times. So we, we you know, so it was kind of good prep for our weekend coming up. No, uh, no more drinking. I've got to write my speech. I haven't written yeah. my speech yet. Oh, does Joe know that? Did you know that, babe? 
Yep, see, she doesn't even know. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, I'm kind of in a dilemma, John. Do I just do bullet points and wing it? Which is kind of my way of doing things. Really? Yeah, <laughs> you would have never known. Or do I try to kind of do a proper speech? You're just, Joe's yelling at wing advice it. Advice from Joe is wing it. Yeah, I think I might do bullet points and wing bullet it. Bullet points. But I want to be funny. Okay. But, so there's a risk when you wing it, Don't isn't it? Try there? too hard to be funny. It's but then if you try to be funny when you're right, that doesn't always come across when you're speaking as well. So mm. I think we're going to wing it. Mm. Yeah. So I'll give you the. I'll give you a thumbs up if it's going okay, or the, or the, this is what the kids do with my meals these days. Is a thumbs up if it's good, sort of horizontal if it's okay, and then I'll, I'll let you know. What's I'll, the percentage you of thumbs? When to, when to where, where, where do you sit in the thumb factor? Yeah, you're sort of mainly, mainly down, is no, it? Mainly, pretty, mainly pretty good. Okay, so yeah, so big weekend. We are actually going to pre-record next week's show, so we won't be talking about the wedding for a couple of weeks, but um, we'll put some photos on Facebook if you're on my Facebook page, and uh, I'm, oh, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be awesome. I hope so. Me too. Yeah, mate. You can marry, marry the love of my life. Great. She's in the background right now. She's such an amazing woman, John. Save that for the speech. <laughs> okay, John, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm in note. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha.